everybody, Kendra the Vet Tech here, and today we are going down another career path as a credentialed veterinary technician. And with me today to talk about her career path in veterinary medicine is Jessie, and she is a licensed veterinary technician in LVT. So thanks for joining us today, Jessie. We're glad to have you. Yeah, thank you so much for having me on here. I'm excited to talk about my path in veterinary medicine. Well, I'm excited too because you've had a pit stop along your path that I have lots of questions about, and I'm super excited to share with everybody. Do you want to first start out by telling us about your path in veterinary medicine? Is this kind of where you started out or a second career path or tell us how you got to where you are today? Um, it's a bit of a long story, so I'll try to give you the clip notes on it for sure. Um, I always wanted to be in veterinary medicine. I was actually on the path to try to get into vet school. I'm from the state of South Carolina, and there is no veterinary school in our state. So getting into vet school is actually harder when you don't have a vet school in the state that you live, because there's not that many vet schools out there. And I don't think people realize that. There's only like 27 of them. Um, and so I started working in veterinary medicine in South Carolina to get experience to apply to vet school. And so I was in kind of an on-the-job trained nurse for a long time. Um, I started in day practice. Honestly, I love that people enjoy day practice, but it wasn't for me. I was a little bored with it. Same thing, coming in the door every day. Even though I got to build those relationships with my clients and their pets, like I'm still missing something. And so I got a job at a local ER, and that's where I fell in love with ER medicine. Um, I love the ever-changing environment. But I worked at a really small ER clinic in Spartanburg, South Carolina, um, which was just like one doctor, one tech overnight. You're kind of on the side of the road in a shopping center. Um, and so I wanted to like go to a bigger one and experience a little bit more outside of Spartanburg is Greenville, South Carolina. And there was the animal emergency clinic, which was connected to upstate veterinary specialists. And I was thankful enough to get a job there. Um, and that's where I really fell in love with ER. And I learned so much. I worked with fabulous doctors and um, really amazing technicians. And, you know, I got to meet like Melissa Entrican and she lives in my head now because we've known each other for so long, but she taught me so much about what being a credential nurse is and, you know, really just taught me about critical care and like critical thinking and actually like fed my love for emergency medicine. And so I still tried to get into that school. Um, and I just wasn't competitive with my coursework. I didn't go to the right school. And I went to, like, I had a full ride. And so I went to an undergrad that didn't have as many animal courses. And so I just, I couldn't get in. And I actually got super discouraged with veterinary medicine because I didn't start out wanting to be a nurse. I wanted to be an ER doctor. I wanted to be a criticalist. And when that didn't work out, I left the vet field and I actually went into chiropractic medicine and I went to chiropractic school for a bit, but I was sitting in class and everything was relating back to vet med. Like x-rays <laughs> that I looked at, I mean, it was crazy. You know, everybody kind of made fun of me because I'm a vegetarian and I worked in vet med and here I am in the human space with a cadaver. Like we had to dissect a human being and they're all like, she's not going to be able to do it. And I was like the best one because I'd already done this. I already stood in so many surgeries with patients and everything just clicked and made sense. And um, the school that I chose was out in Oregon and they made you shadow a chiropractor. And so I was like, okay, all right, maybe I'll get back in the animal space. And so I shadowed a veterinarian that was certified. So she needed me to kind of walk around and do like veterinary stuff with her instead. And at the end of the day, she stopped and she was like, why are you in chiropractic medicine? And I was like, <laughs> I don't know. Um, and so long story short, I ended up leaving early and I got to work at Northwest Veterinary Specialists in Portland, Oregon, and I saw a blood bank in action. And that actually gave me the idea about, oh my gosh, we can do blood banking in veterinary medicine. And this was 
years ago. I've been a techno I've been in that space for about 20 years, even though mm-hmm. that ages me. But um, <laughs> but I remember being in South Carolina and sitting on the ER floor at 3 a.m. and having those patients come in and we didn't have the product. And I would have to be like, okay, well, you can drive to University of Georgia or you can drive the University of Tennessee or you can yeah. drive to NC State and they might have your blood product. But these are like patients that you don't know if they're going to make that four hour drive or these are elderly owners that can't make that drive at that time of night. And so unfortunately they were having to make life and death decisions just because of lack of availability of product. And so when I got to work in a hospital that didn't have that issue and like we were allowed to be ER nurses or we were allowed to be ER doctors, I don't know, it's something just clicked in me. And so I was still struggling to kind of find my path in veterinary medicine and I wanted to be more than a nurse on the floor. I wanted to do a little bit more than that. And my job back in South Carolina offered me a management position. And so I actually moved back to South Carolina and became the personnel manager back at the animal emergency clinic. Um, And that's where I started my first blood bank. I worked for an amazing manager who believed in me, thankfully. And I went to her and I was like, hey, I saw a blood bank in action. Can I do this here? And she was like, yeah, figure out how to do it. Don't tell anybody what you're doing yet until we have all the details. (laughs) Because we were were owned by shareholders and like a board. And so she's like, let's get all of our details before we announce that we're doing this. And I spent, you know, almost a year trying to figure out how to do blood banking and unfortunately nobody talked to me back then like I called some of the big name blood banks and they wouldn't call me back or they wouldn't I didn't know what centrifuge to get I didn't know I didn't know how to start like I I mean what do you do you know how do you know how to spend a bag of blood and I was really getting discouraged and kind of on a whim I reached out to the human blood bank in the area and I was like you know this is what I'm trying to do for the clinic can you help me? Nobody's talking to me. And they were like, absolutely, come on down. Let me walk you through the back of the blood bank. And so I actually got to see a human blood bank and they talked to me about centrifuge and plasma expressors and all these strange things. And they were like, here's some cards, here's some manufacturers to call. And then on a whim, I reached out to NC State as my last resort. And I was like, would you guys mind me coming and like touring your blood bank? And Jeannie from NC State was like, absolutely. And those two, those two entities were the reason why I was able to start the first blood bank in that state of South Carolina. Um, So I went to NC State, toured their wonderful facility. They're such amazing people there. And they were so informative. They were like, here's some books we recommend. If you have questions, if you have this, if you have that, don't hesitate to reach out. And so thankfully, (laughs) I got things up and running off the floor. Had to do some presentations for the shareholders and board. They gave me $60,000 to buy equipment for our blood bank in South Carolina. And it's still up and operating today, which is amazing. Um, I actually got to bleed the giraffe at the local zoo with some of the fabulous technicians that work up there. And so I was kind of still sweating though. Like we were back in a closet. I didn't know if I was doing what was right. The wonderful doctors I worked with on the ER floor didn't really know because I feel like transfusion medicine in the vet field is one of the last things that's like, now we're fully focusing on again. Like yeah. we never had the money that the human world had to like investigate bleeding patients or investigate different transfusion issues. And now I feel like the veterinary world's coming full circle and they're like, okay, we've got a little more money in this space. Let's focus on our bleeding patients. And so I was like, okay, how do I learn more? And 
I went to IVEX and I joined the, um, there's a group called AVHTM, which is a wonderful like group. It's all about veterinary transfusion medicine. There's this huge listserv with people all across the globe who want to know more about transfusion medicine. And they have these annual meetings at ACVIM or IVEX. And I got a job at BodiVet and I spent the last three and a half years in the biopharma space at BodiVet, being advanced shelf stable platelets. Um, I worked with donor colonies and FDA protocols. Um, I actually got to meet wonderful blood bankers across the United States. Like, I love the blood banking community. We're small right now, but yeah, we're a community. Like, we like to share information. Like, who has, like, what bag should we get? How do you draw this from a cat? What's the best filter? You know, we like to reach out and we like to talk to each other because we really want to make sure that we're addressing our donors appropriately and we're addressing our patients appropriately. Unfortunately, that didn't really, Bodie, that didn't really work out. We had some changes in investors and we were owned by a human company doing the same thing in the human space. And yeah. the investors in the human um, company decided that the animal space wasn't for them. And so Bodie, that's slowly kind of shutting things down. Um, and so I left that job and I was a little discouraged because I worked really hard at Bodie Vet, uh, really hard. I gave a lot of myself to that job and having that shut down was, okay, do I really want to do this again? Like, do I really want to be in the veterinary space again? And I kind of sat back and was thinking things through. And then I saw that Ken joined Veg and I still wanted a mentor in the blood banking space. I love that people think I know a bunch about blood banking, but I still feel like there's so much to learn and I really wanted guidance. Now I work for Veg and I'm the blood bank director for Veg and I'm working on building a national blood bank for them. Are you working on the floor at all? Or is this like a, a more of an administrative position for veg kind of working on this blood bank project? Um, it will eventually be both. So right now, because we have to build out the place where we're going to put our equipment for processing and stuff, um, a lot of it's administrative. So a lot of it's writing my donor protocols, writing like how we're going to handle blood units within our corporation. Um, how do we want to handle our donors? I really want to bring a lot of the FDA side of things to the this space because I think we can start kind of building that for the veterinary world in a, yeah. in a less controlled way. I don't want to be the FDA. I don't want to be a VB for the veterinary space, but I do think that we could add stuff to our community and add more protocols that help you feel more confident in what you're doing. Yeah. Um, so that's kind of what I'm doing right now. But as soon as the place that we're going to put processing the equipment is open, um, I will be in a clinic. And so I kind of will split my time to some days on the floor and then some days doing more administrative stuff. And what about tech school? I didn't hear that anywhere along the way. Um, I did go to tech school. I went to Cedar Valley online. So once I left chiropractic medicine and came back to veterinary medicine, I was like, okay, I really see veterinary medicine moving in the direction of like us needing to be licensed. And I understand that and I appreciate that. And so I was like, okay, it's time for me to go through and get my license. Like I clearly have tried to leave the vet space. And I missed it. Um, it didn't feel right. And so this is the space that I feel like I want to be in. And I see our industry moving in this direction. And I want to be a part of that. And so thankfully, my job in South Carolina paid for me to go to school. So we had a program where every year you were in school, you had to promise to work two years after. But I really blew through my school a bit because I'd been in the industry for so long. Um, right. Yeah, I was able to complete it. And I passed my test before joining BodyVet. Nice. And that's awesome. That's awesome that your employer paid for it. And just, a you know, a brief reminder in that space guys, while we're talking about it, this is always a possibility. 
And this is something that you can bring to the table of your employer. So, you know, if you are currently an assistant in a practice and you want to pursue credentialing to become a credentialed veterinary technician, go talk to your boss about it. You know, whether it's online like Jesse did or maybe a local program, it doesn't really matter. Come up with a plan, approach them about it. Say, I want to be credentialed. It adds value to their practice for you to be credentialed. And you guys can come up with some type of contract like Jesse did or her, or her company maybe provided her where you say, look, you put me through this schooling and then I will work X amount of years for you. So it's a mutually beneficial relationship at that point. So always a possibility for you. Jesse's a shining example here. Did it, got it done, has her credentials through a company. So that's great. I'm glad to hear that that worked out for you that way. Yeah, I'm really grateful that they allowed me to kind of do that too. Yeah. So right now we're doing lots of administrative work. It sounds like just working on a lot of policy, trying to get this blood bank up and going. Do you miss clinical on the floor medicine at all? Yeah, I miss ER medicine. I missed it when I was in the um, kind of laboratory space. I, I was doing a lot more animal interaction in, at Bodivet because I had donor colonies and I was actually doing apheresis to get platelets. So it was a little bit more advanced than your um, normal kind of whole blood draws. So like I had catheters and regular catheters and running, you know, calcium CRIs and those kinds of things. Um, but another thing that I really got to do like my last year at Bodivet, which was amazing, is we went into hospitals and we got to collect T-cells from cancer dogs, so osteosarcoma dogs and hemangiosarcoma dogs. And we were working with Elias Animal Health to manipulate those T-cells and give them back to these cancer patients and actually push their cancer into remission. And so these patients were living years outside of their diagnosis. And it was really amazing and fulfilling. But my Dr. Hale did tell me that my face would change when I would get on the clinic floor. She was like, this is where you're happy. Like, this is like, your face looks happier when you're at a clinic. And I was like, yeah. Yeah, I I love ER medicine. Like I'm the crazy one that loves it when it's like a three hour wait and you have six things in the box and three surgeries to go. I'm like, yes, this is the ER medicine that I love. So definitely missed it a bit. Yeah. And is that, I mean, I mean, you said, you know, we're doing lots of administrative stuff right now. So what is on the horizon for you then when you get this kind of up and running, starting to do some ER shifts or, or is the floor stuff more going to be around collecting the donation, uh, things like that associated with your blood bank? So the wonderful thing about Veg is they would be, any hospital would be open to us coming in and picking up a shift. They were like, you want to come in and work? Absolutely come in and work. I currently live in Virginia and the closest Veg to me is in Washington, D.C., which I love the MD at that um, hospital. Like they're amazing. The Georgetown Hospital is super awesome. I currently live a little too far um, to drive in and pick up a shift. I'm in the process <laughs> of moving. Um, if I was closer, I would absolutely go in on like just a random weekend or something. Like you guys need help? <laughs> Can we come pick up a shift? Um, and so I'm hoping when I move and there's a new veg that's opening that's closer to me where I move that I will just be able to come in and randomly pick up shifts if they ever need help on holidays and stuff. But the blood banking side of thing is more processing. So I'm going to be okay. more responsible for making our units. I kind of have this crazy idea I'm working through on how we're going to do the blood banking, but shipping out units throughout our corporate system. So it's more of the blood banking side of things. But like I said, I will be close enough where I hope I can just randomly pick up a shift wherever I want. And our nursing team at Veg like our kind of corporate nursing team will do that. Like if we know that a hospital is short staffed, we'll fly out and help them. And so that's 
another fun like part of my job where it's not really my job, but it's like, yeah, I'll totally go pick up a shift in Florida. Absolutely. Yeah. That's amazing. <laughs> That's so cool. And that is one of the awesome things about uh, the big corporate companies is I had, when I was doing relief work a couple of years ago or a year ago, I had someone from VCA that I was in contact with and she's like, Hey, uh, totally unrelated to what we're in contact about, but uh, I have some shifts at a hospital in Oregon and I lived in Washington at the time. She's like, we'll totally pay for you to drive down there. You know, we'll put you up, you get a little small food allowance, this, that, and the other. And that would definitely be interesting. I, I mean, I suppose it's akin to human nurses, RNs, right. Who are doing traveling stuff, but I think it's so cool that it's coming into our space here in veterinary medicine to have those opportunities to, to travel, do your thing and the corporations will pay for you to do that. So that's awesome. That sounds so fun. So fun. So you did, you did, were thinking about being a veterinarian. So we're going to our undergrad for, for that. And you do have a bachelor of science. I, I would assume that's probably very heavy, the big sciences, since you were trying to to gear towards vet school. Yeah. So organic chem, biochem, all of that fun stuff. Yeah. And how do you think that is doing for you now in what you're doing? I, I would assume it's a huge advantage, but how do you feel that correlates? Absolutely. So once I moved into the laboratory space, the biochem classes that I had in my undergrad were huge. Like um, knowing the different pipettes and what it means to put something in a centrifuge and when you want to pellet something out or running PCRs and understanding what PCRs mean and how they work in a gel or even just tag and other kind of advanced like how do you figure out circulation kinetics where do your red cells go where do your platelets go when they move through your body like what do you add to that so a lot of that started clicking into place like I didn't I didn't realize it when I first walked in and I was a little nervous because I'd never met anybody that worked in the laboratory space before taking that job and so I didn't I didn't have anybody to like pick their brain about um, but once I was in the lab I was like oh yeah okay this is coming back to me this is, <laughs> this is a little different I mean I went from running one cross match to I had to do 50 by 50 cross matches. So I was taking 50 dogs and crossing them to 50 dogs at one time. Uh -uh. And that is an all day event when you do that with I'm sure. multiple tubes and pipettes and like just kind of already having that background totally helped. Yeah. So I would imagine then, you know, if someone, so two different ways to go about this here, right? If you're already a credential technician, and maybe wanting to look to move into this biopharma space, my assumption is your lab work that you've already done to this point will surely help you, right? So if you don't have this big, heavy biopharma background, but if you are just coming into this or just looking at getting started being a credentialed veterinary technician, I would think that going down a path of maybe going into some of these heavy sciences would be super helpful if you wanted to get to your end goal. Am I right in thinking that? Yes. And they also have credentialing, um, a laboratory credentialing for veterinary nurses. And so you can actually get your license for a nurse and then take an extra step and get, a, and get licensed to work in the laboratory space. Um, because laboratory space can be anything from where I was actually in a lab with, because I was in a human space, but my colony was, you know, three hours away from my lab space and the colony veterinary nurses are completely different. So working in a colony space 
as a nurse and as a certified, when you have your lab certification, you actually do more as a nurse in laboratory space. You can do some minor surgeries. You can do suturing and some things like that that you wouldn't normally do in a day practice or an ER clinic because your laboratory license actually covers all of that. Um, yeah. So it's, it just depends on what kind of laboratory space you want to go into. I will say that the space that I was in um, connected to the human industry, I do think like biochem or some sort of understanding of chemistry will help you there um, just because it was more heavy science focused. Okay. Whereas if you're deciding to work in a colony space, which I get a little protective of my colony people, <laughs> I feel like I feel like whenever you talk about colonies with people, like they always hear kind of the Sarah McLaughlin song in the background and they think of these horrible like outcomes for these pets. But there are some really good laboratory spaces and there are some good people working in these spaces that do generally care about the animals that they work with and the life that they have in that space. And so, yes, there are bad ones and there are corporations that make these bad ones the shining star of that space. But I feel like that's unfair because that can be really draining on the people that, I mean, there's, you know, the colony that we worked with in um, upstate New York, there was laboratory nurses that had been there for 15, 20 years. I mean, they yeah. were invested in their job. Like they were one, they're wonderful people and they love what they do and they love any extra like information you can give them. And they do care about their animal outcomes. And so I get a little defensive whenever someone's like, Ooh, boo, colony. It's like, but you don't know. Like, yeah. Until you're in that space, you don't know. And it's yeah. unfair to kind of judge the people that spend their life in that space. And well, and we've had, come from it. yeah, and there are previous podcast episodes. So if anybody wants to know more about working in research and laboratory settings, definitely check out my episodes in season two. We talked to some veterinary technicians in research space. I think everything you're saying holds true based on the things that we chatted with those technicians about. So that's great. I'm glad to hear the confirmation from kind of both sides here because it you're right. It does get a bad rap and just kind of out in the wide world research laboratories and the colonies of animals that go with that just all get a really bad name and it is unfair and you know bad laboratories and colonies of animals being treated poorly those things do happen like you said but you know those those things there are bad people in bad situations in every corner of the world it's it's not just veterinary medicine so Bad things happen, unfortunately, but yes, I, I think as a whole, we do our best as technicians, you know, to advocate for our patients and make sure that their living situations are the best that they can be and the best that we can manage. So yeah, that's great. I'm glad to hear the consensus on that. And then, so I think an interesting point that you did bring up though, is, is kind of circling back to where do we go if we're a credential technician? It sounds to me like maybe moving from regular practice into maybe more of a laboratory setting would maybe, maybe be a good stepping stone if we wanted to end up somewhere like in this biopharma space, but maybe also some night courses in more heavier sciences might also be really beneficial. So either or uh, to get to kind of where Jesse is in some, in some blood banking and biopharma stuff, really taking seriously your heavy sciences would be, would be a great step. Sounds like. 
And I also recommend looking at some veterinary schools, like I know Penn State or some other schools have laboratory research within their vet school. Um, and I know some wonder vet, wonderful veterinarians that have moved into that space. They need nurses there too. And sometimes when you're attached to a college, you can learn and do your courses too. Like if you feel like you're in that laboratory setting, you're running those PCRs, or you're running some sort of lab test and you're uncomfortable, it's easier then to also take a course if you need to, right? Because you're already attached to a college. Great, great point. And I will add to that, that if you work for the college, sometimes they'll give you a little like discounts for the courses and things too. So that is an awesome nugget. Look for some teaching facilities that would definitely need nurses. I think that's an awesome contribution to if anyone's looking to get into this, a good stepping stone. I think that's great. And, you know, you've mentioned mentoring a couple of times too. And I always like, I always like to bring up some things that are my favorite topic that my guests will bring up organically. So it is super important guys that you find a mentor. Jesse's mentioned it multiple times throughout this episode. And I think that speaks volumes to why mentors are so important in navigating through veterinary medicine and, and they help us find our way. So if you have a truly good mentor, they're not a person that's trying to strap you down and, and keep you where you are. They're a person that's bringing to light. Like Jesse said, one of her sort of mentors, I'm not really sure who that person was for you, said, I can see the change in your face. And that's who these people are for us. They, they're honest with us. They're not just there for learning, but also personal growth and guidance. I don't know. I always feel like there's more for me to know. And so I always love working underneath someone a little bit smarter than me so they can teach me things. And that was one of my must-have coming into veg. I told Ken, if I'm doing this again, if I'm building another blood bank again, I want more mentors. Like I want someone to challenge me. I want someone to give me articles. I want someone to be like, well, why do you think that? Let's let's make this evidence-based. Here's why this is supported. Let's do some more research. Let's look into this more. Like, let's get nerdy. Like, I want that. I crave that. <laughs> let's get nerdy. Yeah. <laughs> I think we all have a little side of that too. Uh, we all come pre-programmed with a slightly nerdy side for sure. <laughs> for sure. All right. Well, is there anything else you would want our listeners to know about what you're doing or where you've been or where you're headed that might be helpful to them uh, along the way? Don't get discouraged for one. Um, There's (laughs) always another door. Even if you feel like there's not another door, there's always another door. And, you know, if something speaks to you and feeds you a little bit, I think it's worth exploring and worth finding something that clicks for you. And this is for my fellow blood bankers out there. All of you are doing wonderful jobs. I know it feels like you can't meet the supply demand. I know it feels like you didn't get enough units that day. I know it feels like you didn't ship enough units out or you're worried you didn't pull it right or your donor reacted weird or you had a patient that died after it got a unit, but you were saving lives every day and you were doing wonderful work and to keep going. And even if your people that you work for do not realize what you're doing, you are making a difference in someone's life every single day you walk into that clinic and to not let that leave you and to like, keep going. Yeah. Thank you for putting that out there. I'm sure anyone listening who's in your shoes probably really appreciates that note of affirmation there. And also I, you know, it spoke to me that you said uh, there's always another door and you just kind of need to keep pushing. If you don't mind, Jesse, I really would like to put something realistic on this. I feel like people 
a realistic time frame on this is what I'm going for because I feel like people see successful veterinary technicians or maybe someone hears, oh, well, she's building a blood bank for veg. That's amazing. But how much time and effort have you put into this, right? How many years have we been going to build to this point? And and I feel like people forget that, that there's years worth of work on your part. So so how many years have you been doing this? How many years have you been working in this biopharma space to get to this point of building a blood bank for them? Um, well, I also left the vet field. So, um, <laughs> okay. I, okay. Let's say, let's say total yeah. years within veterinary medicine to get to where you are today. So I'd been in the vet field for nine years. I mm-hmm. left for three. I came back for six before I got my biopharma job. And then I went back in, like I've been in the biopharma space for four years. Um, and so it's, it wasn't like a short journey. I mean, I kept knocking on doors. I, I had my discouraging moments where I felt like I'm, I'm never going to get anywhere that I feel satisfied or that I feel fulfilled in or that I feel like I'm doing what I've always wanted to do. And so, no, it's definitely not like a year or two. I mean, we're talking 20, 25 years into this. And, yeah. But I stayed with it because that's what made me happy because I know that when I walk in into an ER floor that, you know, my face changes, something changes in me, like yeah. something feels better. And then when I was actually in the biopharma space, I lost all four of my pets. Um, and that was the first time in 12 to 13 years of their life that I wasn't their nurse, that I wasn't in the back with them, that I couldn't go in the back with them, that I had to rely on somebody I didn't know. And that was tough. And that, that made me miss being on the ER floor even more. But one of, for me, one of my dogs actually needed a blood transfusion because she had an angiosarcoma and I was mm. going to have to euthanize her that night. And my doctor at BodiVet Ubered me Stable Plate, the product that I'd spent two years busting my butt for, and it saved my dog's life. But in that moment, I sat on the floor giving a product to my pet. And when I was in the biopharma space, I felt a little disconnected from the veterinary field. But in that moment, sitting there, I realized I was doing what I always wanted to do. The the product that I was making, we were selling worldwide. Mm -hmm. And the product that I was making was giving people worldwide that moment. Like I realized I wasn't saving Dagny's life. But what I was doing was giving my husband and I months to tell her goodbye instead of a minute to tell her goodbye. And yeah. if I can do that for somebody else, that's what I've always wanted to do. And that's where it really kind of clicked for me and closed my circle. But we're talking 15 years or more into my career where I finally had that circle closing moment. Yeah. And so what I would say is if you walk into that floor and you can take away your toxicity. You can take away the fact that you don't get paid what you need to get paid. And you can really just walk into that floor wherever you are in your animal space. And if something clicks for you internally, I would tell you to keep going and keep yeah. finding that path where your circle closes for you. Because in the end, for me, it was worth it. Yeah. Yep. Find what speaks to you and just keep chasing it in the best way that you can. For sure. And what about, we're going to wrap up here for today's episode, Jesse. I like my guests to leave a tip or a trick if they can, can be anything from something personal you discovered in veterinary medicine to something professional. Do you have anything for us today? I do. And I'm super excited to share it. Um, 
So one of the things that I got to do at 30 Vet is I worked with human blood bankers. So I worked with army vets that had been doing this out in the field. Like they're picking up an apheresis machine on their back and they're like hiking it through like the desert to like other like army stations or whatever. And so I used to pick their brains about things. And one of my favorite ones that one of my coworkers gave me is how to get blood from an aliquot without making it messy. And all you have to do is take a TB syringe with a 25 gauge needle, poke the needle at the seam of one of the ends of your aliquot, invert your aliquot and cut the top off and you can get the blood out into your syringe with no mess. Nice. All right. Well, there you have it, folks. Tip for today. Well, thank you, Jesse, so much for joining us. I've certainly learned a lot. I hope some listeners have too. So thank you for taking the time to share your journey with us. Yeah, thank you so much for having me on here. And thanks for doing this and like just getting stuff out to, you know, veterinary nurses and veterinary people in general. Because I do remember those days on the floor where I didn't know where to turn to or who to talk to or who to listen to. So I love what you're doing, man. Thank you. Yeah, thanks so much. That's my goal is... Hopefully somebody listening, someone, at least one person listening will be like, Hey, that's cool. Life-changing moment for them. And they can pursue their passion. So that's the hope here with the podcast. And thanks guys for listening in today. Do be sure to check out Kendra the Vet Tech on Facebook and Instagram so you don't miss new episode releases. And also you can check out my website, KendraTheVetTech.com and purchase one of my veterinary telephone triage books for your practice. And Kendra the Vet Tech YouTube is still up and running. Do have some educational videos that come out every now and then. And more podcast episodes will be released this year, including things like VTNE tips for taking the exam. And also, Traveling Vet Tech Amber will be with us to talk about her journeys too. Thanks, guys. Yeah.